I am grateful for the chance to uh, be with you today. Thank you for taking the time to be here. I want to welcome um, all the folks that are at each of our campuses today, um, as well as so many of you who join us online each week. And so this week, when I'm thinking about our online folks, um, we have uh, some folks who regularly join us online from um, Texas, from Louisiana, which means for many of them, this week they are displaced um, due to Hurricane um, Laura that rolled through. Um, In fact, um, I want to introduce you and just have you give a warm Heart of Life welcome um, to a lady from Lake Charles, Louisiana, who is here today. Her name is Glenetta. Would you welcome her today? She would join us online a lot through COVID, and uh, these were her words. She said, if I got to outrun a hurricane, I might as well run to Heart of Life. That's what she said. And so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that she's here. Um, I pray that all of you who really are, there, there are many uh, from Louisiana who are in other places right now waiting to be able to go back in, waiting to find out what their homes are like. Um, and so just know that we truly uh, are praying for you to know that you are not alone. And I also want to say we are praying for um, the the relief personnel who are down there, some of the very folks from Heart of Life who are actually a part of those uh, teams who go in and reconnect electricity and all that kind of stuff. We're praying for all of you guys. Just want you to know that. Um, uh, One of the most powerful storms to hit the U.S. in decades like, what a year. What a year. Um, I recently was reminded of a single panel cartoon. It was just one picture. It was an asteroid and an alien hovering in the orbit of Earth, and the asteroid says to the alien, oh, you're next? I thought I was next. Okay, you go first. That's what it feels like, doesn't it? I think the first eight months of 2020 have led a lot of people to just continually ask the question, what's next? Well, in light of a full year of storylines, I want to tell you a few stories from some Heart of Life people this week. The first story is about a small group of people who decided to arm themselves with some packages of hot dogs and buns and chips and felt God leading for them to just begin to walk through some of the neighborhoods. Um, As they would go to a house, greet the people, uh, it would simply be a conversation of, hey, here's just a little something. We know this is a crazy time. We're just checking on one another. Uh, if, if this would help your family, at least to take the edge, you know, the, the relief for one evening, we want you to enjoy it. If, if you don't need it, then maybe you could pass it along to one of your neighbors. But we just want people to know somebody really does care. In fact, every Wednesday... 
every Wednesday from 5.30 to 6.30 behind the vault in Harrisonville, we're going to serve a family meal. It doesn't cost you anything. You can stop by, get some hot dogs, chips, you know. You can either stay there and, and eat them or you can take them home. But we're just going to do that every Wednesday to give people a chance to maybe get something they need but even in food, but even more than that, to just be able to check on one another, to care for one another. And they're going to continue doing that every Wednesday to build relationships for the purpose of being able to share what you and I know to be the greatest news in all the world. It's that Jesus loves you. In fact, I've even heard that there are some other groups who are now stirring the possibility of doing that same thing in some of the other towns where Heart of Life exists. I'll tell you another story. One of our ladies this last week just sensing God, um, pushing her to do something, so she called another couple of Heart of Life ladies who lived in the same area that she lived in, and uh, she just really felt like God was calling her to encourage kids and families where kids were having their first day at school, and what a crazy year to have a first day at school, and everything's different, what's it going to be like? And so um, she set up. Uh, a little table with some, those are cookies in the, in the pouches and some, some drinks in the little cooler. And she, she found a, uh, a neighbor who was near a strategic bus stop. That, that neighbor also, they were Jesus followers. So they're like, yeah, absolutely. You can, you can set up here. And when the bus rolled in, then she connected with some children and their parents to just say, hey, we know this is a crazy time. But we just want you to know there are some people who really care. I mean, snacks always help, right? So cookies, it, snacks always help. And, and so just to say, hey, if you need anything, we just want you to know we're glad to help and we're praying for you. And um, her plan is to continue to go back in order to build relationships, in order to share with those families the greatest truth that we know that Jesus loves you. And I have heard that this week, there may be some tables that end up set up in some other towns where people live with cookies and juice who are going to do something similar. Aren't those good stories? See, the common action in our society right now is to look around this world, how broken, how hopeless, and say, come on, world, get it together. Or for some, it is to look toward the heavens and to say, come on, God, can't you get this together? Can't you do something? But I wonder if we would pause long enough to actually listen to God's response, which we don't. We don't pause long enough to listen because we've all trained ourselves to have an attention span shorter than a goldfish. But if we did listen, we might hear God's response being something like, do something. I did. I made you. It was the theologian John Stott who said, we should not ask what's wrong with the world. For that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask what has happened to salt and light. That's a great statement. 
He's saying the first question of what's wrong with the world, that got answered a long time ago. As soon as you open the pages of your Bible, you see a decision that was made in a garden a long time ago where rebellion against God began to result in consequences that we continue to experience to this day. We know why the world is in the condition that it's in. The greater question that Stott is raising is what happened to the salt and light. And he's like, what does that mean? That's what I want to show you today. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to read for a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to pick up with verse 13 because here's what Stott was talking about. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. After eight months of us walking through the story of God in the Old Testament, this week we turn the pages to the New Testament. Anybody in the house happy to see Matthew, right? Yes, it's like, thank you, Lord, the gospel of Matthew. We have, we have arrived at the New Testament. It's kind of, I've had even these conversations with a few people. It's kind of like, man, we're watching this Old Testament picture of when it's all about the law and people rebelling. It's like, my goodness, does that not feel like the world in which we live? And now we turn the page. What we're looking at today is a part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason it's called that is because when Jesus delivered it, the the setting was a mountainside. And so that's why it's called. We're only going to look at these few verses. It's much bigger than this, but we're just looking at the part that talks about salt and light. So here's here's the two statements of fact that Jesus gives us as he gives this little talk. Here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't say you should be. He doesn't say you can be. He says you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, those of you who are following me, Jesus says, Jesus' followers are salt and light. Now, I want to clarify something today when it comes to this relationship between Jesus' followers and the world. Followers of Jesus are the same as the rest of the world in the fact that the only hope we have is God's grace. What I mean is we don't deserve anything any more than anyone else. We are the same in that the only hope we have is God's grace. But Jesus' followers are different from the rest of the world in that we have been miraculously connected, made one with God through this relationship with Jesus that we did not earn but 
comes by God's grace through faith. So here's what I want to make sure we understand. As Christians, we are not Christians by simply believing some right things. We are Christians because Jesus lives in us and makes us one with him. So my point is, Christians are not better than anybody else in the world, but we are different than the world. And the reason we're different is because Jesus is different than the world. And so here he tells us, this is who you are. As Jesus followers, you are salt of the earth and you are light of the world. And when he tells us who we are, what he's also saying is, here's who the world is. So in other words, if you are the salt of the earth, he's saying, this world, in case you couldn't tell, it's decaying. It's broken. It's spoiling. In Jesus' day, salt was not only about putting a little flavor on something. Salt was about preserving. I mean, that was its main function. And so when you applied that salt to something like meat, it, it, it preserved that meat, right, so that it did not break apart. It would not decompose. It, it would not spoil. And so when he's saying, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying is, this, this earth needs some salt. It's broken. When he says you are the light of the world, he's saying, this world, it's dark. And we get that. So two facts. You are salt. You are light. Which leads us to Jesus then giving us two common sense observations. Here's what he says. First of all, salt that is not salty is useless. And he says, light that is hidden is useless. That's just common sense, right? Everybody can get that. If, if salt doesn't add taste or doesn't preserve, why bother with it? It just makes a mess. If light, right, isn't seen, if it's hidden, then just forget it. What difference does it make? And then Jesus gives us a few examples in his talk about this, this example of light. So one of the examples is a city on a hill. Well, in those days, sometimes the cities were built out of limestone, sometimes along with clay that was mixed with shells and pieces of pottery to hold all that together. And so when you began to put several of those buildings together and they would build them on the high places, when the sun would hit those buildings and that limestone and, and those, those pieces of clay, it, it would make them just almost um, radiate with, with light at times. You, you could see them from a long distance. And then he gives us this picture of a candle in the room. And to me, it's kind of a humorous picture. I, I want you to imagine that you are sleeping so you are resting comfortably on your pillow oh look at that I didn't realize that was the one I got today 
Go Tigers. We'll let that be encouragement to all of our, all of our uh, Louisiana folks who just today need to be encouraged, need to be reminded that at least for a little while, we are still national champions, all right? So we're just, we're just gonna go with that. So you, you, are, you are resting on your pillow, you are sleeping, and in the middle of the night, you awaken because you gotta go right? Because sometimes that happens in the middle of the night. You, you wake up and you got to get to that bathroom. And so what you do is when you wake up, you realize the, the room is just pitch black, just completely dark. You can't see anything. And you know how it is when you suddenly wake up, and you're trying to figure out where you are and you got to get somewhere fast. And so you reach down onto the, the night table beside you, you grab your phone and you hit your flashlight and then you put it under your pillow and then you stumble around the room running into things until you find the bathroom and you say Jeff that's crazy and Jesus says yes it is so why would you do that with your life Because don't you see that Jesus followers, the church, the church impacts the world. That's his point. The the church is to impact the world. It is your purpose. The purpose of salt is to salt something. The purpose of light is to, to give light to something that is in darkness. The purpose of Jesus followers, the church, is to exist in this world as salt and light. That should change how some of you think about the church. Because if this is true, then the church is not simply defined as the place where Christians come to get fed. That's not its full defining. But as the people who follow Jesus called the church, our mission is to impact the world. That's why we say for us, it's a big deal to be a missional church. That's all we mean. This is our mission. We exist for out there. Not here. Knowing, though, that out there can be challenging. Out there can be hard. Out there is dark. And out there is really uncomfortable. And so when we start to ponder this and is the church making an impact, I'm telling you, I I think there at times is this imagery where for many people, (laughs) I got two, for many people, it looks more like this. Looks all that looks comfortable. That looks comfortable. For many people, their lives have just become comfortably nestled. <laughs> 
most decisions that we make are about our comfort. The purchases that we make, what we choose to do with our time, it's about our comfort. And the world is broken, and the church is comfortable, and the light is not getting to the darkness. The image, I think, that's okay to to think about for who we are as the church is a little bit of a lighthouse. Lighthouses are amazing when you get some of those images of just in the darkness and the storms that can occur and and still to this day that we understand the, the purpose of a lighthouse where that point of light can be seen from almost anywhere. Sometimes it's a beacon, sometimes it's a warning, but it's always about giving light for life. And that's our mission. We love Jesus. And the greatest news is that he loved us first. And there is this good news called the gospel that, that, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, rose on the third day, that when we put our trust in him, he, he forgives us and he makes us his kids. This, this is the light. But the problem with a lighthouse is that a lighthouse can't get to all the alleys. A lighthouse can't get to all the dark alleys, right? The light will shine from that house, but, but there are places that, 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 are, that are hidden. There are places that are covered. There are places that are darker, and, and that light can't get there. And so the whole imagery is that the church would realize that, that, that our lives are not made to build just for the comfort of this temporary world, but, but that our, our lives are made to step into the broken places, into the dark places, into neighborhoods, into bus stops, to schools, to offices, into the places where God wants to turn a light on in the souls of people because he loves So two facts, two facts, you are salt and you are light. Two observations, salt that's not salty, useless. Light that is hidden, useless, which leads us to one command. And this is the command that Jesus gives. It's actually verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love the fact that the command doesn't come until your identity is clearly established. Jesus says, this is who you are, and because this is who you are, then this is what you do, right? 
Now, come on, they, they can't see. People, what is it that they're supposed to see? They're supposed to see your good deeds because they can't see simply what you believe. They, they, they cannot see, right, simply the gospel. That This is why it matters how you live because how you live, what comes out of you is a result of what you believe. It's a result of this good news of Jesus. This is what people conclude about God. My question is, what do people conclude about God when they see you live? And I would challenge you to realize that God is more than nice. It's like, how do you live for Jesus? Well, I just try to live, I just try to be the nicest person that I can. Nothing wrong with being nice, but can I tell you that God is more than nice? What do people know about God? By the good deeds, he says, that flow from your life. Now, let me show you something real quick. If, if you turn the chapter to chapter 6 in Matthew, this is what he says in chapter 6, verse, first, first verse. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Did he not just say in chapter 5, shine your light, and then in chapter 6, he's saying, don't, don't do it to be seen, and we go, Jesus, uh, which is it? is it? Is it to be seen? Is it not to be seen? And the point between the two Jesus is getting to is something that he cares about. Listen to me, motive matters. Why you do what you do matters because you can take the same action, one time that action is done so that they will see you, the other action, you, or the same action could be done so that they could see him. Jesus is not after just your external actions. He's also after the foundation of why those actions are in your life. Around here, we simply ask this really small question, what's your why? That's what we ask regularly. What, what, what is your why? Why do you serve kids? Why would you buy that person lunch? Why would you mow your neighbor's yard? Why would you babysit for them on that occasion, right? Now listen, sometimes it doesn't look selfish because sometimes this thing is subtle. I'll ask it this way. Anybody here ever done something for someone out of guilt? I'm gonna ask it again. Anybody here ever done something for someone out of guilt? Come on, come on. We in church, y'all. Yeah, most all of us have at some point, right? Here's how it works. Hey, can you come help me move? Sure. Right? <laughs> you want to know who people are, ask them to help you move. No lie. I have found that out through the years. It's like, hey, I'm moving. Any way you can help me move? And they're like, oh, man, I would love to, but I just can't get off work. And I'm like, well, you seem to get off work for the past three Royals day games, Right? You find out who your friends are when it's time to move. Or, hey, will you watch my dog, right? The question is, if I don't do it, are they going to actually think less of me? So I do it because I want them to, to, to approve of me, but subtly I'm doing a good deed, but really it's for me. 
It's really not about glorifying God. It's not salt and light. That's subtle, but it's not. Have you ever done something good because it makes you feel good about yourself? Sure. What's that about? Here's what it's about. I want to be a good person. And I know at least to some degree what a good person might look like, so maybe I volunteer to work in the homeless shelter. So I go work in the homeless shelter, and then when I work in the homeless shelter, somebody sees me work in the homeless shelter, and then they compliment me for working in the homeless shelter. It gives me this sense of validation. Hey, maybe I am sort of that good person that I want to be. My question is, is that about God or is that about me? It's about me. It's subtle, isn't it? But it's about them seeing my self-righteousness, not God. It's not salt and light. But Jesus said the reason that he gives, let's let's read it again, that that, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The imagery for me, sun and moon, One of those is a source of light. The other is the reflection of that source of light. And that's really the picture I think Jesus is painting in Matthew chapter 5 and 6, this contrast. He's like, are are you looking to be the source of light? Because you're not the source of light. Only God is the source of light. But the problem is, am I making you think that I'm the sun or do I realize that my purpose is to reflect the glory of God? The apostle Paul put it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, this is how he said it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, he's going all the way back, right? This is the God who created it all, the one who simply spoke. It was darkness, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. So the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine into our hearts. So he just went from this creation of light in the world to like, he, he, he's also turned some light on in your heart to give us the light. But the question is, the light of what? The light of the knowledge of God's glory, God's greatness displayed in the face of Christ. God opened our hearts to see light. And that light was a knowledge of how great he is. Don't don't misunderstand. God is great whether you see it or not. God is glorious whether you see it or not. But the way that you see it is because God gives you eyes to see it. He, He opens our heart. When we see it, he says in the face of Jesus, that is the clearest place to see the glory of who God is. And that seeing changes us that we realize that now we are made to let that light shine. And that light pouring from our life is Jesus. The more you know who Jesus is, the more light shines he goes on to say in verse 7 but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. In other words, when God does this, he makes it obvious. <laughs> it's, it's just obvious. It, it's not us. It's him. Now, come on. How do we make sure that, that when we do the good deeds that, that, it, that it's for his glory? Well, one way we can do that is actually connect the dots for people. Sometimes it's simply opening our mouths with the opportunity of going, look, this is because of Jesus. This is because of Jesus. He loves me. He loves you. Right? That, that's why this is happening. It's because of Jesus. But I think he's also saying that when God's power is at work in our lives, and so you are willing to do that, 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 that good deed, that, that even a small action, when God gets a hold of that small action done for right reasons, it's something supernatural happens in that, even to the point that it can lead to that person's life totally being changed. And it becomes obvious that we can't do that. Only God can do that. When our motives are different than all the other motives, right? And come on, you can usually tell, right? Sometimes your grandma can get you to do something out of guilt, and she's okay with that. But you know it. Your employer may, may, may be able at times to get you to do something out of fear, but you, you recognize that. And I think he's saying here, but when you do what you do for right reasons, to glorify God, that different quality can be seen. So two facts, you are salt and light. Two observations, salt that's not salty, useless. Light that is hidden, useless. And one command, impact the world. My question is, why does it seem like only some Jesus followers do that and some don't? My question is, why do some people have stories like I told you at the beginning of this talk in a week and some people don't? Now, the question that's always got to be asked is, one, are you actually connected to Jesus? Because Jesus' followers are salt and they are light. I... I, I, I don't think I can remind you too often that, right, being a Jesus follower, right, being a Christian, it, it's more than just your line of statements and facts that you would declare that, that you believe. That This is about a real, every breath you take relationship with Jesus. And one more time, I'm telling you, you don't earn that but it is available to every one of us that when we turn our lives to Jesus, it's called repentance, away from me and my sin, and I turn to Jesus, and then by his grace through faith, by his grace through faith, he will forgive me, and he will come to live in me, and he will never let me go. Maybe you've never trusted him. My prayer today is that you would turn to him. But sometimes it's also the fact that maybe you've done that at a time in your life, but you're just not following him now. Christianity is not something that you do a few times a week, like your hobby or your job. It's your life. And so this week, I want to challenge you, this week, would you make the effort to ask, 
right? Start this week asking, listening, God, would you direct my actions this week? God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? I'm telling you, that's, that's how the, the distributing the hot dog thing happened. That, that's how setting up at the bus stop happened. It came when, when some people sensing, hey, God, going, hey, this is, this is a step that I want you to take. So I'm saying, do you have the courage to ask and listen, God, w- w- would you direct my actions? And then, God, what do you care about that I can join you in caring about? And then help me take action. This, this week I was reminded of what's called the rule of five. John Maxwell uses this principle sometimes with leaders. And it's sort of like, let's say there's this tree. And the tree is dead. And there's a risk that this tree is going to hurt somebody. It's going to fall on a house. It's going to fall on one. The tree needs to come down. So what do I do? I get my axe. I get my axe, I go to the tree, and I'm willing to chop five times. You would say, Jeff, in case you don't know, there's this thing called a chainsaw. I know quite well. I have actually used my chainsaw at some illustration point at some time. I, did, I, I thought about bringing an axe. I'm like, eh, I don't think I'm bringing an axe. I'm just, let's just don't. So I could bring my chainsaw, which if it were really talking about a tree... I would use my chainsaw, but you know what I've discovered in ministry? Chainsaws are usually not what works because chainsaws are quick. Ministry looks more like an ax, and today I'm going to chop five times, and tomorrow I'm going to chop five times. Tuesday I'm going to chop five times. Wednesday, I'm going to chop five times. And no matter how big that tree is, eventually that tree will fall. I'm convinced it's why a lot of people don't do many good deeds to the glory of the Father. It's because they want something that is fast like a chainsaw and they're not willing to swing an ax today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, five chops, five chops. Five chops, five chops. I'm telling you, it's the principle of the right focus, the right tool, and consistent action. You apply that to whatever it is God's called you to do. That right focus is to glorify God. That right tool is good works. That consistent action is to see and join God today. I want, I want to encourage you this week to realize that you have a story. And if you're still breathing, which you are so far, you're here, you have in front of you a new day. And that new day means that the next story can be written. I really do kind of imagine this imagery of we got just a blank, blank pages on a notebook and it's my story that is to be written. What I've discovered is that most people don't write their story. Most people simply accept their story. So at the end of the week, when they open their story, 
what got written here so much of the time is none of what God actually says is most valuable. So we open the Bible and we study it and God goes, this is what I care about and this is what I care about and this is what I care about. That's what God says. But then as we start to write our stories on on Monday morning, rather than being intentional about writing those stories, we simply just sort of take whatever this whole broken world throws at us and all we do, do is react and at the end of the week, there's a story, we just didn't write it. We just read it. Today, I'm challenging you to consider something very different this week. See, some of you, it's like, how many times have you heard about the imagery of salt and light? You're like, yeah. I have heard this thing about Jesus talk about salt and light truly. No exaggeration today more times than I know how to count. Our problem is, how do we get from knowing what he said to letting him write the story? And I just simply want to challenge you to get crazy intentional this week about taking out the ax, identifying that target where God says, this is where I want you to work. This is where I want you to join me in what I'm doing. And just today, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to fall the whole tree today. Five swings, little today. And then tomorrow I'm gonna hit again. And then tomorrow I'm gonna swing again. And tomorrow I'm gonna swing again. But every day I'm gonna be intentional. And I'm gonna start by saying, God, what do you want to write here? And I'm going to be intentional about writing my story, not just reading my story. Today, I encourage you to look to Jesus and to realize that you do not have to write a story to prove that you love him. You get to write a story because he proved he loves you greatest news whole world I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing before we go and this one that we're gonna sing before we go is not one of those head down right down contempt this this one that we're gonna sing before we go is one of those where we celebrate who he's called us to be and we're gonna celebrate some of the stories that he's gonna write this week deal all right So one more song to sing after I pray. I encourage you to not be silent. I want you to lift your voices. I want you to praise this God who's glorious. I want you to put your hands together. This one's an easy to put your hands together. And let the church celebrate the stories that God's going to write this week. God, I love you so very much. And I'm grateful that I don't have to approach this coming week to write a story good enough that proves that I love you. But I get to be a part of writing the story that proves how much you love me. And that is the truth for every person in this room. It's the truth for everybody who's watching online right now. God, thank you for loving us. You loved us first. And now, God, you call us to a life that impacts the world. God, may you raise us from sleep. 
God, raise us from those comfortable places that we like to build for ourselves and give us courage, give us boldness to step into the darkness, to step into the brokenness, to step into the uncomfortable. God, will you give us courage together? May your church be your church that truly glorifies you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.